Thank you all for coming. And our reading is, What is it to fail spiritually? This is from Rays of the One Light. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The first passage is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 25. Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, five of them wise and five foolish. They await their bridegroom, the Christ consciousness. The wise virgins keep the oil in their lamps, symbolic of their devotion, lit through the night. The foolish virgins placed no oil in their lamps. These foolish ones are like the average devotee, going through the motions of outer ritual, but keeping no fire of love burning in the heart. When the bridegroom's coming is announced, the foolish virgins virgins, realize their mistake and hasten out to purchase oil. During their absence, the Christ consciousness comes and embraces those who have been awaiting him with devotion. The foolish ones, by their lackluster devotion, are not accepted by him. Watch, therefore, Jesus told his listeners. For you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In the autobiography of a yogi, Paramahansa Paramahansa Yogananda describes the foolish virgin virgin consciousness he encountered in the Mahamandal hermitage he stayed in as a young man in Benares. I was pleased, he wrote, that my new home possessed an attic where I managed to spend the dawn and morning hours. The ashram members, knowing little of meditation practices, thought I should employ my whole time in organizational duties. They gave me praise for my afternoon work in the office. Don't try to catch God so soon. This ridicule accompanied one of my early departures towards the attic. Later, during meditation, I felt lifted as though bodily to a sphere uncircumscribed. Thy master cometh today. A divine womanly voice came from everywhere and nowhere. This supernal experience was pierced by a shout from a definite locale. A young priest nicknamed Habu was calling me from the downstairs kitchen. Makunda, enough of meditation. You are needed for an errand. The Divine Mother's words were not spoken for the benefit of that priest, the foolish virgin, but for Makunda, the wise virgin. For this was the day his guru, Sri Teshwar, came to him. Grieve not, friends, if you feel that you have been foolish. No error is forever. Someday, if you keep your lamp lit now, your opportunity will come. In the Bhagavad Gita, the sixth chapter, Krishna promises every devotee, Arjuna, none who works for self-redemption will ever meet an evil destiny. Spiritual failure, though a deep disappointment, is always temporary. Eternal hellfire is but a projection of vindictiveness in the human mind. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
Thank you. I'd like to read now from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. And this is entitled, Make Me a Lion of Thy All-Conquering Wisdom. I, a lion cub of the Divine Mother, found myself thrown into life among the sheep of human frailties, of fear, failure, and disease. Living long among them, I learned to bleat with weakness, forgetting my lion nature and its roars, which could frighten away all petty, pestering sorrows. O lion of realization, thou didst drag me away from those bleeding sheep to the mere smooth waters of meditation. There didst thou cry, gaze, but I held my eyes tightly shut, bleating with fear. Thy roar of wisdom then reverberated through my body. Thou madest me, by hard shaking and spiritual urging, open my eyes, and there, lo, in the crystal pool of my inner peace, I saw my features to be even as thine own. Now I know myself as the lion of cosmic power. I will bleed no more with fear, weakness, and suffering, for I roar now with vibrant almighty power. I bound about through the forest of all experiences, seizing little creatures of vexing worries, timid fears, and wild hyenas of disbelief, devouring them ruthlessly. O lion of immortality, roar through me thy all-conquering power of wisdom. I wanted to, uh, well, I didn't think of that reading from Whispers, but when my uh, gaze caught it, I thought it very appropriate for um, many reasons, but it highlights uh, one of many themes in the reading this morning, and one in particular that I want to focus on. When I uh, had my first Christmas here at Ananda Village, I was up at the meditation retreat and just visiting for a handful of days. And we were all gathered there, it was packed. Um, perhaps it was Christmas Eve, but it was definitely right close to Christmas. And our singers, the Gundarvas, we call them that name, the celestial singers at that time, were singing. And Swamiji was sitting next to me in a chair. I was seated seated there on the floor. And after one of the songs, he turned to me, caught my gaze, and he said, Can you sing? And I instantly said, No. And it really had nothing to do with singing. What I was so amazed about, and when I think of that instance ever since... I always feel that on some level, consciously or perhaps not, quite possibly not, but Swamiji was saying to me, who are you really? Do you know who you are? You were so quick to answer. I can do this, I can do that, I don't do that, 
I do this, I am this, I'm not that. We just, we're right there with it. We're just right up front with it. But who are we, really? And I was, you know, one of my favorite stories uh, from the Ramayana. It's the story of Lord Ram and Sita, of spirit and soul. And Sita is at one point separated from, uh, from Ram. And uh, she's taken by delusion. She's taken by Ravana, the evildoer. And Rama sets out to find her. And in this series of adventures, he eventually uh, meets up with and befriends the great Hanuman. And Hanuman is part monkey, part man. He becomes and is the greatest disciple of, of Ram. And Hanuman offers to help in this quest to search for Sita. You know, up to this point, they've been unsuccessful. And so Hanuman gathers up all of the monkeys and Ram sends them to the four corners of the earth of Bharata, India. North, south, east, and west. And to the south he sends Hanuman. And he instructs them all. They have got to find Sita. Time has gone by. Time is running out. It's a desperate situation. You have one month's time. That's it. You have got to find her. And so everyone heads out and Hanuman takes one of the bands of monkeys and they head towards South India, towards Ceylon. It is possible, someone says, that Sita was carried away by Ravana to the south. So they head there and they arrive ultimately after many incredible adventures at the shoreline and they're looking at this expanse of sea out in front of them And the time has lapsed by this point, and they are desperate, they are hungry, they've had no further clues of Sita's whereabouts, and they are suffering greatly. And naturally, they feel like they have failed. They have not been able to find Sita for Ram. And they feel that she's over there in Sri Lanka, but there's this huge expanse of sea, and that's kind of the last straw. And they sit there, and they're dejected, and they're looking across this sea, and the morale overall is really low. And finally, after some time passes, you know, they're, they're really about to throw in the towel. And one of Hanuman's friends starts up a dialogue, at first kind of one way, but... He starts reminiscing about the valor that this group of monkeys has shown in the past and just their incredible um, strength of character and willpower and dedication. And so he starts to cite you know, their different attributes and qualities and um, successes. And he asks one of them, you know, well, you've you've done this kind of thing before, you know, you've jumped across a sea greater than this, you know, why don't you jump, just jump, jump across this ocean? And the monkey says, oh, well, I have done that, but I was young then, I can't do it now. (laughs) And, And then the next one, you know, well, you've been able to do such and such, and on and on and on it goes, but there's always some reason why now it's not going to work. And so... You know, they were starting to get a little heated up when they heard, heard about everyone's, you know, successes, but 
that no one really felt in that moment they could do it. They were just all despairing greatly. And finally, this one monkey looks over at Hanuman and he's just sitting there, this glorious being, but he's sitting there, eyes downcast, looking at the ground and just not, you know, feeling in the least hopeful. And his friend says to him, Hanuman, you're capable of doing this. You can, you can get across there in a single leap. You've done more than this countless times. You have, you have come to our rescue and the rescue of others. Just nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally, he says to Hanuman, 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 don't you know, don't you know who you are? And just this deep, quiet. And Hanuman sits there unmoving for some time. And then he starts to move. And his spine begins to straighten. And his energy starts to rise. And you can see his whole aura changing. And he sits up tall. And he gets up off the ground. And he grows in size and proportion. He just swells, not of the ego, but of this knowledge of himself and God. And he walks up to the top of the mountain and he positions himself and pushes off and he jumps across the entire expanse of sea over to Sri Lanka where Sita is. Well, you'll have to read to know what else happens if you don't know this story. Because the point here is that Hanuman's strength was in the knowledge in himself that he was one with God, that he was made in the image of God. And this is really at the core of our spiritual life. It's why I wanted to talk about it today. The great ones say, ultimately, we cannot fail. We're all destined to be united in God, to be one with God. It's our destiny. We can't escape it. No matter how long it takes, Master, in his poem, God's Boatman, he said, I'll come. If you're the only one, if you're the only one left, Guru is going to come and bring you home. So we really can't fail. But even so, it's really important that we understand the challenges are great. And really central to all of them, key to all of them, is this knowledge of who we are in God. You know, it's, it's, we're not going to fail on the path because we're only doing 60 Kriyas and not 108 we're not going to fail on the path because we're meditating one hour and not three hours. You know, those are things we can work with. Those are things we can grow with and grow in and get better at. But that singular point of who we are in God, that's something that only we can really address We have to know that. We have to acknowledge that. We have to live that. God isn't going to say to us, you've failed in this, that, or the other. Master isn't going to say to us, you've failed in your spiritual life. I never heard Swamiji ever speak that way to anybody. They may be strong. They may be challenging. We may feel that Master is really challenging us you know, asking us strongly to consider a different perspective, a different way of doing and being, but they aren't going to tell us that we failed. Who's going to tell us that? We are.
We're going to be the ones who say, I am not succeeding. I've really failed in this. Just forget this lifetime. Forget this incarnation. I remember one time, for just a few moments, I kind of had the, I entertained the thought, you know, I'm just going to let my karma take me where it takes me. I just, I am tired of fighting this battle. I mean, it was just a little thing. But, you know... It's, it's, so it's us, and we have to correct that. We have to say, no, I am a child of God, and claim that, acknowledge that, and live that. Master was so big on affirmations. He wrote countless affirmations. Swamiji wrote countless affirmations. And they were, are all to keep us in this expanded state of consciousness. Because we're, when, when we're... When we're in that expanded state, it's much like, less likely that these thoughts of limitation or failure or delusion are going to be able to enter in. You know, because we're affirming, as Ananta read this morning, this affirmation of Swamiji's. We are immortal. We are ageless. We are free. And, you know, an affirmation isn't something you just sort of do casually or do on occasion, it really becomes a way of thinking and being all of the time. I remember once not too long ago, and I was uh, having um, feeling challenged uh, to get up early in the morning, feeling challenged to meditate, and feeling sorry for myself, I suppose. And I was laying there in the late of night, dwelling on this point, and I all of a sudden held the thought, this is ridiculous. This is an absolute waste of time to think this way. I get to meditate. And that's how I started to think in that moment. And that just stayed with me. I get to meditate. In this incarnation, we have all gotten to a place in time, in our evolution, and we get to meditate. I get to sing to God. I get to hold the thought of Divine Mother. That's incredible. What an opportunity. And just in that moment, everything turned around. It was like, okay, I have the energy for this. What a blessing. What a grace. There's a beautiful, um, in one of the uh, translation of song, Radha, the, the disciple, the very great disciple of Lord Krishna, and Lord Krishna, at a young age, went to fulfill his destiny as king. And all of the gopis, you know, all the devotees of Krishna were so uh, despairing at such a loss of their Lord. And this translation of this song, part of it, it Radha is saying, O Krishna, I have never been able to look at you to the fullest satisfaction of my heart. I have these human eyes, they blink and obscure your vision. And then also they fill with tears. So much so that I cannot see you. It's so beautiful, that level of devotion. Master said that, you know, to be aware of lukewarm devotion. Be aware of lukewarm devotion. I was thinking about that. And I guess a part of what he means, you know, it's not as simple as just chanting half-heartedly. I think he meant everything. I think he meant filling every moment with 
that attitude and experience of devotion for the path, for Master, for Divine Mother, so that every moment of our time is filled with that. You could look at Swami Kriyananda's life and you could easily say the purpose of his life was, as he saw it, to be a good disciple. It's really quite something with all of the things that he has done in his life. But that's how he would oftentimes state it. It's really all that mattered to him. And he had such a depth of devotion that wearing all those different hats, I mean, all the things he was a channel for creating and expressing and doing, never identified with any of it. Because the identification with being a disciple, in other words, being devoted to God, living for God, was always greater than all the rest of it. The rest of it just all paled before that. And so to cultivate that kind of devotion internally ourselves is to build that relationship of knowing all of the time, acknowledging all the time that who we really are is a child of God. That's our reality. That's our purpose. That's our reason for breathing and living and incarnating on this planet. Just that. Master said it's very important to be aware of who you spend time with. Spend time with those who see the God in you and relate to the God in you. And because that'll keep you in that remembrance, and that's what it's all about. Awakening, renewing, cultivating, holding all of the time to the fore, that divine remembrance. He told of an instance Yogananda did Two of the disciples were coming back from Encinitas up to Mount Washington. And they drove up together and talked about all manner of things. And their usual pattern was to talk about things of the world, which when we engage in that kind of dialogue draws us very quickly into restlessness and forgetfulness. And when they arrived at Mount Washington, Yogananda looked at them And he told them word for word everything they said. He said, you two shouldn't hang out together. But they didn't listen to him. And eventually they both left the path. It's just so important that we utilize our time to be with God, to be with those who remind us of that reality. You know, we can still live and serve and be in all of these other varied realities that the world offers us that we need to be in in order to do His service, but to never forget who we are in God. That's really the key to success. That's the key to rising above every challenge, every circumstance, every test that comes to us. I wanted to share one more story. And uh, it was uh, a number of years ago, a, a dear friend of ours in Sacramento are no longer with us. And we knew this person a very long time. And they always were very afraid of things. Everything. Everything under the sun. And so there was always this dialogue of questioning and sharing of fears and trying to reconcile them. And really a a great soul and with a great spirit 
I mean, we can be great, and we still got you know these, this baggage that we're carting along. And I'll tell you, um, I mean, just all manner of fears. Usually, they centered around uh, not having a job, not having money, not having retirement. And so, at a certain point, this individual was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and right away she called us up. She said, "Guess what?" I don't have to worry about my retirement anymore. <laughs> That's how she introduced the news that she wasn't going to be around much longer. Just beautiful, beautiful spirit. And uh, but this went on, even given that that uh, dictum, if you will, of a terminal illness, um, just resurrected many times. It was probably about five years that went by before she really left this plane. And toward the end, uh, just the one fear, all the fears seemed to coalesce into this one. And this one was, is Master going to be there for me when I leave? Will he meet me on the other side? Will I be able to recognize my guru? And this was, this was huge. This was huge. And it was something that just came up on a daily basis. And... It wasn't uh, traumatizing. I mean, she was still functioning and of great spirit. But this was really the core thing that just kept nibbling away. And finally, um, she wrote to Swamiji. Actually, I wrote on her behalf because she was too ill to write at that time. And just part of the whole test was that it took months to get a response. And there was always the possibility that we might not. But the letter was lost. The letter had to be rewritten. The answer was siphoned off somewhere else. And we just went back and forth. And finally this letter came. And Swamiji said, you know, if you're going to have a spiritual test, if you're going to really, you know, question this this." truth that none of us can really fail, none of us can really be left without, your fear might as well be the one you've chosen. (laughs) Because all of your attention is focused on master, on your guru. And he said, but don't, don't worry, he will be there for you. The letter was much longer, but that was the gist of it. And some time went by, and as we expected it would, that day came when our friend left this world. And that day happened to be January 5th, Yogananda's birthday. It wasn't planned on her part, I can assure you. But it was the universe, it was Master saying, you know, everyone's thinking, every devotee, every disciple is thinking of Yogananda on that day. That thought form is so strong, is so powerful that we are in this divine company, that we are a child of God, that we are one with Divine Mother. And that was the day. And you know, surely that was just the heavens opening up and saying, you know, we are all going to succeed in this adventure of living this spiritual life. Nothing is lost. You know, nothing is goes unnoticed. It's all in perfect timing. And our job is just simply to stay at that center, to know who we are in God, unquestioningly to know who we are, and to do the best we can 
do the best we can, and then leave it to God. It's all up to God.